Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 will be one of our texts for this morning, and then we'll flip over to Genesis 15, verses 1 through 5 for the rest. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then Genesis 15, 1 through 5. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 15, 1 through 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Be, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So we are working through our series called the Meta Narrative here for a few weeks, and we're discussing the, the line and the flow of redemptive history. What is the story of this book? What is really going on in the big picture scheme of things? What is God communicating to us that He has done, what He is doing now, and what He will do? And this comes to us in four main acts. This is the thing I really want you to remember out of the meta narrative are these four acts or movements of the meta narrative. They are creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or recreation. So, so far, we've gone through creation, talking about God and His autonomy, His authority. He's a transcending God. He's a descending God. He communicates with His people. He has given us special revelation in the Bible. We talked about creature, how we are dependent upon God, everything we have we need to receive from Him. We, then we went on to from creation to fall. And the last couple of weeks we've gone through have been pretty heavy weeks. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but we would, when we talk about the fall, it's a heavy topic. When we talk about the reality that all of mankind is born dead in trespasses and sins, born alienated from God, apart from God, without God and without hope in the world, as Ephesians tells us, apart from God, the fall is radical and it goes to all of mankind. Adam sins. And by his one sin, death came into the world. And by that death, all death therefore spread to all of mankind, Romans 5 tells us. The fall is radical and total and universal in its scope. 
And so this is where we are left now in this timeline of biblical history. God creates it all, says it's good, and then the fall happens. And moral evil now exists, and horizontal, and moral evil exists, and uh, natural evil exists. And the biggest problem we have on our plates is not the problems between humans, but also the vertical problem of mankind is now estranged, cut off from their creator. This is where we are now in the narrative. This week we're going to start talking about now redemption. The the segment, the act of redemption. What God has done in the world to redeem it. God has has done, this is what the rest of our, right now we're at chapter 6 of Genesis. We talked about the flood. We've gone through creation and fall and we're six chapters in. So we've got a lot of this left to cover in our remaining weeks about what God has done in the act of redemption. What God has done in his act of redemption. We basically are people stranded in the middle of the ocean. Our boat has been wrecked. We are clinging to a piece of shipwreck. We are as good as dead. We are dead. We are floating. And we are scanning the horizon for any spark of light. Where is this hope coming? Where, what is going on? Because we, we read in Genesis 3.15, right? The Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel, that a snake crusher is coming. That there is going to be this seed of the woman, the offspring, who's going to crush the serpent's head and is going, is going to bruise the serpent's head and the serpent is going to bruise his heel. From here on, this point on, we are looking and looking and looking and looking. When is this snake crusher coming? Who is this offspring? Where is this rescue? We're desperate. We need this snake crusher to come. We need this offspring to show up. This is how I want us to frame this book. This book, sometimes there's lots of opinions about what this book is really about. A couple of popular opinions is that this book is an instruction manual. You probably have heard people say that. This book is an instruction manual for life. It tells you how to live. And so you read this, you get a lot of rules, and there are plenty of rules to find in this, and you get a lot of rules, and this book is going to tell you how to live. It is an instruction manual book, a book of rules about how to be good so God will approve of you. That's often a way this book is thought of, an instruction manual. It's all sometimes the other thought is that, well, this is a story, this is a book about a lot of examples, a lot of examples of people, and some of them you should imitate and some of them that you shouldn't. It's kind of an Aesop's fable, a moral of the story. Look at this person's life, see all the things they did wrong, now go and don't do them. Or look at this person's life, see the things they did right, now go and do them. The trouble with both of those interpretations, a way of reading this book, is that it's crushing, in its, in its uh, demands. It is crushing in its demands, saying that this book, if we read this as just law to us, here's how you should live your life. We leave this place crushed because no one lives up to all the rules that are in this book. It's impossible. You're, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You cannot. You cannot live to all, up to all the rules in this book. And the moral examples that are here, well, the moral high example is Jesus. And he was without sin. He was perfect. And so if we're looking at this for examples to emulate and to live our life after, we become crushed. 
crushed, crushed, crushed over and over and over again if we read the Bible that way about how to be good, how to do right so that God will look favorably upon you. That this book, though, I'll argue, is not about how you should be good. This book is about how God is good and what he has done to rescue you. This is not a book about how you should be good. There's parts of that in there we can get to later. But primarily, this is a book about how good God is and what he has done, what he has done to rescue you. Not what you need to do to rescue yourself. We're Americans, right? And we're pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of people. This is the things we've got to do to to get our hands dirty and do the work. The Bible is not that kind of a book. It is not primarily about how you can rescue yourself. It is a book about a good God and what he has done to rescue you. Get to the distinction? Get the distinction? There's a big difference there. One of these ways of reading this makes you leave defeated and beat down because the list is, the, the list is be perfect as I am perfect. The list is do everything just right, never sin, and we leave crushed. The other way of reading it comes to us as the gospel. This is a book about God's pursuit of man and what he has done through this offspring that we're looking for to reconcile his creation back to himself. From this point on, we're looking desperately, where's my rescue? Where's my rescue? You in this room this morning, you're in need of a rescue. We're all in need of a rescue. This is not a book about how to rescue yourself. This is a book about a rescuer. Okay, so we're looking and looking and looking. And from this point on, in the Old Testament, we look forward. This offspring is coming. This snake crusher is coming. We're looking forward all through the Old Testament for this offspring to show up. In the Gospels, we see here's the offspring. Jesus shows up and we watch his work. We're spectators and what he does in real space-time to rescue. And then the New Testament epistles are all looking back. Look what the rescuer has done. So we are, from this point on, looking forward for this offspring. Jesus himself, on the walk to Emmaus, the picture is back there in the, in the pastor's office. It was laying down on the floor. I picked it up and hung it up because it's a good picture of Jesus walking with his disciples and he takes them through the, the whole Bible. And it says all the way from Moses through the prophets, the law and the prophets, and explain to them how all of it pointed to Jesus. All of it pointed to Christ. If you read this and it doesn't point you to Christ, you've missed something. We're looking for the rescuer. Jesus says to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, 39, he says that you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life. The Pharisees learned the law, right? They, they read it and they learned the laws. They learned the rules. And they thought that in those laws they had life. But Jesus says all along, this has been pointing to me. Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life, but they are the very thing that point to me, Jesus says. We are looking and looking and looking for this offspring. So one of the major first moves we have is Genesis 12 of God making his move to rescue his people. God making his move to rescue his people. We see this, Eve gets real excited because she has a man. 
And she, she has a son and she thinks this is the offspring. All right, here we go. Creation's going to get redeemed. This offspring has been promised. Here I have a child. How exciting that must have been the first time that happens. <laughs> we didn't, no, no doctor told me this is going to go on. And we have a child. She's excited. No. He's murdered by his brother. Noah shows up. We think, this is the guy. He finds favor with the Lord. There's this judgment worldwide. Noah must be the one, right? He's this offspring we've been searching for. The boat lands, and what happens? Noah goes off, plants a vineyard, and gets uh, drunk on his wine. His son is cursed. One of his sons is cursed, just like happened originally in the garden. Looking, looking, looking. And then on the scene, later on, we have Genesis 12. Abraham shows up. And there's really just two big things I want us to get from looking at this act of redemption, this this pursuit of man in the life of Abraham. The first thing I want us to notice in chapter 12 is, is that God is a God of grace. When we talk about God, and the reason why I'm wanting to stress so much that this is a book not about your rescue of yourself, but of God's rescue of you, it's because it's, it's fundamental to the realization that God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace and mercy. He is pursuing his people. If you read chapter 12 that we read this morning of this call of Abraham, note all the I wills in this text. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And then God says, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a lot of I wills here. God is on the move to rescue. God is on the move to rescue his people. God is the instigator. God is the one who loves first. If we go to 1 John 4.10, you know, sometimes it's, we, we, we condemn people because they, you know, you got to love God. Love God. Um, if you don't love God, how can you expect God to love you kind of idea? you got to love God with all you have. How can you expect God to love you if you don't love him? That's totally antithetical to a God of grace and God as he has revealed himself to be. 1 John 4.10 says that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is a God of grace. This story is a story about God's pursuit of sinners because they deserve it, because they should be, because they have done something to earn it. No, no. God is a God of grace. He has done this out of love and pursuit of those who by all means should have been wiped off the face of the earth. But God is a God of grace. Any love that we have back for God comes only as a result of seeing the grand truth that God loved us first in the sending of his son to be the propitiation for his sins. We see God moving just this way with Abram. Why does Abram get picked? Don't really know. God's grace falls upon him and God pursues his people. God is for pursuing God. If you're here this morning and you're listening to the sound of my voice, 
God is after you. God is after you. God is not sitting up in heaven waiting for you to to do all the whatever. God is on pursuit of you. And he's done so clearly through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. God is after you. The message we need to hear is not what we need to do to earn favor with God, but what God has done in putting his favor upon us in giving his son, Jesus Christ. Religion, this is where we really part ways with um, most other religions. All the religions out there are going to give you a to-do list. Here is the way to climb your way back to God. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you climb your way back to God. This is the story of most religions. Do all of these things to get to God. Here's how you ascend yourself to God. And how many of you know, have you ever taken up those lists? And how quickly are you defeated? How quickly are you let down by your own failures, by your own shortcomings? But the religion says, here's how you ascend to get to God. Christianity says, here's what God has done in coming to you. Here's how you rescue yourself, is what religion says. Christianity says, here's what God has done to rescue you. So, God is a God of grace. And then we flip over, and the second thing I want us to get this morning is that the way God operates is through promise and faith in His promise. The way God operates is by promising and then faith in that promise. Abram is childless. Abram is the guy who becomes Abraham, right? He gets his name changed. So Abram, Abraham, same dude that we're talking about there. But he, he uh, is childless at this point. He gets this promise at about age 75, 85. And uh, he goes years without any offspring. He has no child, has no heir. Yet God has promised to him that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Well, he's, can't, he's confused. How in the world is that going to happen? God makes this promise. He says, you will have a child. And through this heir, your very own son, he should be your heir. And then in verse 5 of Genesis 15, brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here's the kicker. Verse 6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God makes a promise and Abraham believes it and is made right. He is made right by promise coming from God and then belief in what God has promised. Does God say, here's the things you need to do to make sure this all happens, okay? Here's your to-do list. Get to work, Abraham. And if you fulfill the to-do list, then, then all these things will happen. He makes a promise. And righteousness is given to Abraham because of his belief in the promise. His belief in the promise. This is the, what God has done. This is, this is his making his promise through Abraham to bless all of the nations through him, and it comes through faith in a promise. We're often confused by the angry son who's, so, who's out so hard working for the approval of his father, and he, he just is out just slaving away, stressed and angry, and he's disappointed because he thinks he's never done enough to be approved by his father. And we all know this child, we have it, we could find an image or think of one who goes out and is just angrily, just constantly stressed out, working, hoping for the smile of his father. He does not know that all along 
that because of the love of the Father, he is already his son and love for that reason alone. That there is this image of, of, of religion that has us out, stressed out, working hard, crushed under the weight, trying so hard to earn God's favor. Not knowing that all along, God has made a promise through Abraham. We'll get to this. That belief in that promise, belief in that promise makes you a child of God. So this all is pointing us to Jesus. The first thing to realize is that the blessing that Abraham really receives, we think that the blessing is in the, the air, and that is part of the blessing. But the, the blessing Abraham receives is righteousness. Abraham believes God, and what happens? He is credited to him as righteousness, right standing with God. What happens as a result of Abraham's belief is that he gets set right with God. This is the blessing of Abraham. This is the blessing of Abraham. He believes God. He believes in this promise through which the offspring, uh, the heir, he believes in this promise of an heir, which the offspring is going to come from. But the main blessing Abraham gets, he gets God. Through his faith in God's promise, he gets God. God is the prize, and God is the means to the prize. He does all of this by faith in the work of Christ. Two New Testament scriptures that talk about this. If you've got a Bible, you can flip to Galatians chapter 3 that speak about this very thing. Using this idea of Abraham, how Abraham points us to Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. Let's read a little bit here. Um, let's start in verse 4. 5. Does he, who stuff, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Paul is making this contradiction between the, the Judaizers who are saying you've got to do law, you've got to do works. And then the gospel which says it's through faith. Just as Abraham, does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, those who were non-Jews, God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. (laughs) That's interesting. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who are of faith are blessed. What's the blessing that we're receiving? The blessing is the righteousness, right standing with God. How does this happen? Jump down to verse um, 11. Now it is evident that no one, that's an inclusive, all-inclusive totalitarian statement. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And what does that look like? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
Christ is that this offspring, Abraham is pointing to this coming offspring. Right here in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, we have a foreshadowing, a following of the bloodline of this offspring. Abraham kicks it off. And what is it? It is faith in this promise that an heir is coming through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's all of us are blessed through who? This one offspring. What does the offspring do? According to Genesis 3, he's hanged on a tree. He bears the curse all of mankind deserves. Desertion by God. He bears so that through faith in this work, we then, the Gentiles who are outside of God, could be justified, given right standing with God. One more place is Romans 4. Just quickly look there as well. Romans chapter 4. Looking, looking, looking. Abraham is this figure that comes up, this father of our faith. Abraham showing to us this comes about by grace. God is a God of grace. And it comes about to us by God making a promise and belief in that promise. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, though he did something, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. To the one who does not work, is not climbing this ladder, but believes in who? The one who justifies those who deserve it. No, you got to read the text there. It says, not say that God does not justify the ones who deserve it or the ones who have done the right climbing. God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the one who is desperate and who his faith is then counted as righteousness. Verses 20 through 25, back in Romans chapter 4. No uh, distrust made him, was still speaking of Abraham, no distrust made Abraham, made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him, speaking of Abraham, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours, for ours also. This is speaking to you. Okay, verse 22, or verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The promise, God is a God of grace. God is a God who moves through promise and faith in this promise. Where does it leave us this morning? Pursued by the grace of God. Pursued by the grace of God. The God who made a promise and follows through for those who trust in his forgiveness of sins and his reconciliation. Free justification, not through your works, but through the work of the offspring, through the work of Christ.
Hear his great love for you today. Turn from sin. Trust in the work of Christ. And live rejoicing in what he has done. God is on the move to redeem a people. To redeem his children back to himself. Abraham shows up and we see marvelously God is a God of grace. God is a God who is pursuing. And God is a God who makes promises and then through faith in that promise gives his righteousness, his right standing. Christ comes to earth, lives the life we all should have lived, dies the death that we deserve so that through repentance and faith in that work we would be given right standing. We would be justified. God is moving in his, in his storyline, if you want to call it that, his, his biblical narrative, he's moving to redeem. And we see it clearly in the, in the movement of Abraham. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just give us eyes to see. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be working in our hearts as, as, um, as a wandering we, we went through there, God, just in the life of Abraham. I pray that in my wandering it would not be lost on us the amazing grace that you have for sinners, the way that you move to pursue your children, that, God, we should be laid low and humbled before you. And we should also rejoice that this reconciliation, this offspring did not come to tell us how to get right. This offspring came that through faith in this promise, we would be made right. And God, I pray that it would just blow us away this morning. It would get down deep inside of us the hope, the joy, the peace, the good news that it is that you are at work in the world to rescue a people, not who deserve it, but who by your grace, through your promise and faith, are brought back and reconciled to you. God, draw us near to you, we pray in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.